Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dr. List here, back with another episode of the Primary Care Pod. I know you missed me. I know you, I know it, there's nothing else going on in your world right now. There's absolutely, you know, nothing happening. You're stress-free. Uh, life's good. Uh, nothing crazy happening. Your organizations are all flowing good. Uh, definitely nobody panicking or freaking out. It's been, I mean, just a wonderful week, uh, week and a half. Um, definitely nothing in the news. It's been slow. Uh, stock market's been pretty stable and everything. So today on the Primary Care Podcast, we are not going to talk about COVID. We're not going to talk about coronavirus. not going to talk about any of that stuff. You hear it enough. You know enough. You've been beat over the head with enough. Today, we're going to get back to focusing on primary care. We're going to get back to focusing on primary care. We're going to get back to focusing on some tips and tricks, some guideline evidence recommend- recommendations, all for you. And we got a special treat today, the new improved primary care podcast. Uh, we have a, uh, a uh, new new intro, new music. Uh, hopefully everyone is as jazzed about this as I am. Uh, please, everyone, take care of yourselves. Uh, get some extra sleep, de-stress, and uh, enjoy the podcast. Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast for my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. I mean, isn't that a real banger? Isn't that intro music? Isn't that just amazing? Bob, keep it keep it going, Bob. Keep it playing. Keep it playing. Uh, so, uh, fun fact about the intro music. Um, I once spent uh, about 45 minutes in my bedroom closet uh, hammering about a bunch of different uh, uh, instruments together to see if I can't uh, create an intro music. So, uh, yeah, sorry, it's not professional. Yep, I did it myself. Yep, I did it in my closet. And, uh, yeah, I think it's good. Okay, so... Moving on, uh, today, first topic, um, probably my favorite topic. I talk about this with med students all the time, and that is despite, you know, the fact that we push people to get in once a year, you know, Medicare annual wellnesses, have you come in once a year? Uh, we have all these health insurances that say, come check out your physical every year. Um, general health checks in the general adult population for reducing disease-related morbidity and mortality. This is a Cochrane review for clinicians here, 2019. Now, what this looked at is it looked at overall mortality for people that assumed assumed risks based on population comorbidities, et cetera, and then corresponding risks if they had a health check, right? So they looked at their risks, their risk profile, and then afterwards, and they looked at overall mortality and they had a follow-up of 4 to 30 years for overall mortality. The relative risk reduction of a general health check, meaning like just regular old physical, zero, a relative risk ratio of 1.00, confidence interval 0.97 to 1.03. Now, this isn't small studies. Uh, these were 11 studies with 233,000 uh, participants in these studies with high quality of evidence, meaning that health checkups, regular old checkups, do not reduce mortality. There it is. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. That's all I'm going to say about the topic. We'll move on. No, 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 no. Just kidding. We're going to go in deeper. So why is this? It's because if general checkups are pretty darn worthless in general, and 
you know, what do we talk about at a wellness exam? We talk about cancer screens. We talk about blood pressure. Some people talk about blood pressure. Some people talk about cholesterol. Some people talk about specific things. The value of that is checking labs. So that way you know what your risk factors are and then treat appropriately. But we're going to talk about this in more detail at future pods because I think it's really important. Cancer screenings do not benefit the average person. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Cancer screenings do not benefit the average person. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we're talking about a lot of these cancer screenings, when done even at specific ages, have number needed to screens to prevent one cancer death in the several hundreds. So when we look at reducing overall mortality, when you have a gigantic population for people who have checkups, who don't have checkups, you know, you can still get cancer screens without having a yearly physical. You can. You can skip a yearly physical. You can come in just for random visits. You So just having a quote-unquote physical doesn't necessarily make your health any better. It doesn't make you live longer. doesn't reduce your death, uh, cause of death, at least in a 30-year follow-up. Now, what about cancer-related mortality, right? I just talked about how at a lot of physicals we talk about cancer-related mortalities. Nope, nothing. Uh, relative risk reduction is 1.01. High quality of evidence, 139,000 patients over eight studies. Uh, no benefit in four to 22-year follow-up. Cardiovascular mortality, nada, 1.05. Fatal and non-ischemic heart disease, 0.98. Confidence intervals for those Cross one, no statistical difference. Fatal and non-fatal stroke, nada, nothing, no difference. So again, this gets back to my whole point about nihilistic medicine is usually good medicine. We don't need to be spending a billions and a billions of dollars on health check physicals, right? Get your labs, treat specific diseases, but for the general population, this includes all healthy individuals all the way up to 74-year-olds, right? Most health services recommend physicals between the ages of 30 and 75, et cetera, et cetera. They don't seem to make much difference. And we know Medicare and wellnesses don't make any difference, but we do them because we get paid for them. That's why we do them. So again, I think nihilistic medicine is good medicine. If the patient is healthy, don't make them come in. Knowing their risk factors for heart disease, stroke, uh, have them stop smoking, big wins, have them lose weight, big wins. Uh, know what their risk score is in terms of uh, their cholesterol, but primary prevention, even with a statin, even in, even with somebody who has high cholesterol, is pretty weak overall. Um, the benefit is really for secondary prevention. Of course, we still do all the primary prevention we can, so that way we reduce as much heart disease as we can, uh, reduce as many uh, cardiovascular events as we can. But again, um, not enough to move the needle in terms of it just being in a general health check. All right, so with that depressing topic out of the way, oh, and by the way, that came from American Family Physicians uh, several months ago, uh, but I really like that topic. Um, we'll hit a couple of these really fast. We're already at seven minutes. Oh boy, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Um, I like this one a lot because uh, uh, I I hate having to be super aggressive with really, really little infants. Um, so this question was a patient-oriented evidence that matters, a poem. Uh, AFP magazine, this was in October 2019. I'm sure you, a lot of you saw this. Um, Again, they call those poems, I like to call them poos, patient-oriented outcomes. Uh, but can a laboratory-based prediction model rule out a serious bacterial infection in infants under 60 days of age, right? So these are the kids who are super high risk. Uh, every time they have a fever, we got to take them seriously. Uh, got to look at, you know, do we need to tap these kids, send them in? And that's always a question. Can we can we not tap these kids? Do we not Can we not send them to the ER? Can we not admit them and have a huge workup? So um, if you have a normal UA... 
a absolute neutrophil count less than 4,000, uh, 4.1 per times uh, 10 to the 9th per mil, um, and a serum procalcitonin level less than 1.71. It is very accurate at ruling out serious bacterial infections, level of evidence 1B. And this comes from uh, a study in the uh, uh, PCARN study. Um, and this was, uh, again, general JAMA Pediatrics 2019. Um, so I think this is a really, really good take-home take point that if you're in a facility that gets a pretty quick turnaround in terms of serum prolactin, um, that, then you can usually do this as an outpatient cath, that kid, um, do a, 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 an A1C, you know, get an absolute neutrophil count, and then get a serum procalcitonin. As long as you can have a good turnaround on your serum procalcitonins, uh, it's a pretty good way to rule out having to tap this kid or admit them. Uh, that basically rules out a serious bacterial infection and more likely makes it viral. So uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, their kid's going to be fine. Obviously, if they have a f super high fever and they look really sick, they probably need to be admitted anyways, but at least rules out that this is meningitis or something. Um, the Obviously, the UA rules out a UTI, uh, ANC rules out, a, and the serum procalcitonin in combination rule out a uh, septic-looking kid or another source for bacterial infection. So I think, uh, again, super high value, but only if your serum procalcitonin comes back normal. Okay, uh, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Next one. Uh Here's a test that I really like. Uh, I wish insurance has covered it because it's a super duper duper expensive test. But uh, in patients with vague gastrointestinal symptoms, the test fecal calprotectin, right? Fecal calprotectin stool study is a useful test in ruling out Crohn's disease. In adults with an uncertain diagnosis, fecal calprotectin has a sensitivity between 83 and 100%, which is really good, and a specificity of 160 to 100% based on a bunch of different studies. And again, this comes from AAFP. This was August 2019. Um, these studies, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the original study on hand. This was from the AFP clinical answers. But this is a super high-value test. So certainly a colonoscopy works really well. Um, some people get out, grab a CT scan to see inflammation of the bowel and see um, inflammatory bowel issues. But a fecal calprotectin is a really, really great test. Uh, Non-invasive, uh, non, don't have to get a colonoscopy, don't have to get a specialist referral, um, can save the patient some radiation, um, and you can use this anywhere from you know teenagers all the way up through adults. This study looked at specifically the uh, diagnosis, sensitivity, and specificity in adults, but it works as well in kids. And so that works really, really well at ruling out some inflammatory bowel disease issues, specifically for Crohn's disease. So this, I think, is a super good test. Again, I, I talk about insurance coverage because uh, having get, gotten billed by this uh, my, when my daughter had this uh, done because I was worried about Crohn's disease on her, uh, turned out it was Giardia. Um, it was, uh, I think, a $275 uh, lab test that was completely uncovered, completely out of pocket. So it uh, would be nice if they covered it, but again, super valuable test. Uh, same article talked about uh, how does long-acting insulin, such as uh, you know our friends Basiglar and Lantus, um, compared to NPH insulin. Uh, in fact, so this study uh, looked at uh, severe episodes of hypoglycemia, no difference between the two of them, uh, that lead to that led to emergency department visits and hospitalizations, uh, no difference, and yet cost somewhere between two to 10 times less uh, than your lances and your basiglars. So super important uh, tool in the arsenal. Uh, again, I still use a ton of Lantus. I still use a ton of Basiglar um, for my diabetic patients, but uh, apparently some really good evidence supporting the use of 
NPH insulin. All right, uh, last topic today. This also, I'm as you can tell, I'm clearing out my AAFP uh, reviews. This was back in November 2019, so I apologize. These are like five and six months old. I'm sorry, you guys. Normally, you get more up-to-date stuff than this from me. Um, but again, this is another poo, another patient-oriented outcome. Um, is fully automated blood pressure measurement more accurate than manual sphingomanometer? Uh, are you all proud of me that I got that on the first thing? Bob, Bob, validate me. That was a first take. That was not even a second take to say the word sphingomanometer. Okay, I'm going to stop saying it because I'm going to keep messing it up. Okay, so uh, this study was in JAMA Internal Medicine 2019, and it looked at automated blood pressure automated blood pressure measurements aligned better with ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, which is the best predictor of cardiovascular events, compared to manual measurement. Now, uh, you know, we were always told, don't trust the machine, use your ears, you know, go and do it yourself. But this study shows the opposite, that manual measurements, manual readings are an average 13 to 14 millimeters of mercury systolic, higher than your daytime ambulatory or automated readings in patients with hypertension. Now, why is this important, right? We just talked about JNC guidelines, just talked about AHA, ACC uh, changes, right? Go back and listen to the last two podcasts. I know you already did, so you don't need to. Those studies used are based on automated cuffs. All right, so that's the difference, right? So, you know, they have a lower level uh, and automated cuffs read lower on average than manual readings. So if you are using manual readings, they tend to run higher in nurses and in physicians checking them. They tend to run higher and therefore are probably uh, not quite in line with the ACC AHA recommendations like we talked about last time. Now, again, whether you want to follow as strict as you need to for the ACC AHA guidelines, but that's probably a lot of the difference from what old guidelines, old measurements, old studies said showed cardiac mortality benefit, and then what the ACC AHA recommended with automated readings being lower because they're 13 to 14 points lower. So again, there's probably something related to that. Um, again, my takeaway is just use your automated readings, but let the patient calm down. Let them, don't have the new nurse do it directly after they walk in the room. And if they do, then have her check it again on the way out after you've calmed them down and after they had time to talk uh, and, and, and calm down a little bit, um, you know, and all the normal things that we talk about for lowering blood pressure, like, you know, feet on the floor and at the level of your heart and yada, 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 all that other stuff that probably doesn't matter too much. Okay, but that's it. Uh, so I think that uh, this whole, like, we have to check a manual for it to be accurate, garbage, garbage, just like you have to have just like you have to have a colonoscopy to have an accurate, uh, you know, screening test for IBD. No, just like you don't have to, you have to tap every kid that's under age 60 uh, who's got a fever. No, don't even do that. Just like you need to have every of your uh, patients come in for a uh, wellness exam. Uh, nope, don't need to do that. Uh, except insurance pays for it. So yeah, they probably do have to come in for that for the for the points or for the money. So uh, yeah, money trumps uh, good medicine, I guess. Uh, so uh, any uh, any anything we got wrong today? Any questions? Any concerns? Any feedback? Uh, any problems? Uh, email me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, again, uh, Bob has uh, has played this beautiful music. Uh, super excited for the new uh, things. I know for the new outros and intros. I know nobody else likes the song. My wife uh, kind of rolled her eyes when she heard it. Um, love you, honey. Uh, uh, thanks for the feedback. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, as we go forward, again, uh, nihilistic medicine is good medicine. Uh, take care of yourselves, everybody, with COVID out there. Uh, try to treat your hospital as well. And if you're covering the hospital, God bless you. Uh, do the best you can. Um, because we're in for the long haul here. So uh, have a great day. And remember, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date.
Have a great day.